So last week we covered another portion of Revelation uh, chapter 2, but we've not yet finished that chapter yet. So today we will continue on in Revelation chapter 2. And we'll finish Revelation chapter 2 today as well. Our verses for today will begin in verse 16. But as we often do, let's go back and we'll read our way on up to verse 16. And so if everyone's there, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. We'll start reading in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know you, your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life I know your works tribulation and poverty but you are rich and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few, few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you, have, thus you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, beginning our verses for today, in verse 16 here, Jesus tells the believers in the church of Pergamos to repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. 
Again, what does the sword of Jesus' mouth represent? The Word of God, right? Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians 6.17 tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So we today, as believers in Jesus Christ, are to use the Word of God to fight our spiritual battles. Ephesians 6 also tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We must not forget nor grow complacent when it comes to the fact that there is a spiritual battle that we must fight against. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is our offensive weapon against the attacks of the devil. And I encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 6 on your own and, and be aware of the fact that the devil is trying to tear us away from walking with the Lord. And he uses many little tactics to, to just kind of get us to drift away slowly if we're, if we're not careful. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. I think many Christians forget that fact, that we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to be pressing on. Because the devil does roam around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I've often said that the devil doesn't come up and introduce himself to you. He doesn't say, hey, here I am. I'm keeping you from the Word of God. Hey, here I am. I'm distracting you right now. If he did, we would just say, oh, that's you, Satan. <laughs> I know. He doesn't do it that way. He's very cunning, very clever. And he does it in a way that just kind of causes people to drift away, right? Then... In James chapter 4, verse 7, it also says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we have to put up some resistance. We have to stay the course. We have to fight the fight of faith, right? And you see, I, I, I bring all of this up to you this morning because, again, it's easy for us to fall into a spiritual stupor. And many Christians today are in a spiritual stupor, I believe. They are not holding forth the, the sword of the Spirit, right? The Word of God. And the enemy is devouring them bite by bite. He's capturing the minds of our children as well. And he's leading them away from the faith. Because if the parents drift away from the faith, it's, only, it's inevitable that the, parent, the children are going to see this and begin to drift away as well. But the Word of God needs to be in our hearts and the Word of God needs to be on our lips. And the Church of Pergamos has allowed for people, you know, within their fellowship to live in sexual immorality right there within their midst. You know, they knew these people existed in the church. And they had, false, they had also fallen into... Um, the rut of letting other people rule over them. The, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, right? And we talked about that last week. Jesus said that He would come into this church and He said He would fight against this, the sinning people. He would fight against it with the sword of His mouth, He said. But again, we have the Word of God 
today, don't we? And we must carry the word of God valiantly and we must use it to fight not against people, not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual wickedness, right? Those, that, those, those tactics of the enemy, okay? I'm sure you've heard this past week, but a group, uh, yeah, this, I think it was last week or the week before, but a group of pastors in the city of Houston were ordered to turn over all of their sermons to the city council. Any of their sermons that had to deal with homosexuality they, or the mayor herself had to be turned over. Otherwise, they would be held in contempt of court. You know, and it makes you just say, wow, have we really gotten to that place in America? Is that where we really are? I mean, I think we kind of knew that that might come in the future, but are we really getting there now, right? But I believe it's because the church in large part has put down the sword of the Spirit. They don't pick up the Word of God. You know, churches out there that don't even open the Bible, don't even teach the Word of God, you know. And we must remember that the Word of God is what's going to change people's lives. It's what has the power to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And the Word of God has the power. And the Word of God alone has the power to change people from the inside out. And I believe because, like I said, the church has put down the Word of God. When I say put down, I mean put it aside that we see happening all around us what's happening. And the church has become weak. And now city councils can come and demand this. It's, you know, I don't think that's going anywhere. You know, fortunately, there's some things fighting against that right now. But it's just a, a glimpse of what is coming, you know. But as, the, as was the case with the church in Pergamos, there must be cleansing inside of the church first. Okay? The church, you and me, we must use the discerning power of the Word of God to rid ourselves and our fellowships of ungodly behavior. And 1 Peter 4.17 says that the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. It has to start there. And we need to get right. We need to understand that the enemy is destroying the work of the Lord in our lives by distracting us and making lazy the saints of the Lord. And it's time that we learn how to use the sword of the Spirit again. And it's time that we start sharing that and realizing it is powerful. You know, to me it's kind of like, and this is an extreme example but it's just popping into my head. It, if you had a cure for some disease, somehow you knew you did and, and you had this cure for Ebola, say, but yet you said, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to share it with them. I don't want to give it to them. We wouldn't do that. But yet we have the power of the Word of God and yet the church as a whole has kind of don't want to offend anybody with it. You know, but yet we know it has the power to heal and the power to cure and the power to save and the power to change, right? And the power to make all things new for people. So it's time to take the Word of God and pick it up again and take it to the lost and dying world around us. 
right? They don't need hate. They need love. They already know the lies of the devil in their lives, and now they need the truth. And we know that God is love, and we know that His Word is truth, right? And Jesus continues in verse 17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. That's a pretty crazy verse, huh? What's being said here? Well, first of all, What's being said here, there at the beginning of the verse is, in verse beginning of verse 17 is, hey, pay attention. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying here to this particular church. Pay attention to it, all of you who read this letter, because it has something to do with all of us. So pay attention to it. But then he says, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now, we could take that at just extreme face value right there and we can say wow to him who overcomes to the one who repents and overcomes to the one who does not allow immorality to be in their lives in their fellowship to the one who deals with false teachings and rids themselves of it these people will get to taste some hidden manna that Jesus has put aside and he's hidden for us to eat that's taking it at face value right there right that's one way of looking at it right but we will see as we continue on, and as I've mentioned before, the book of Revelation is also very symbolic. And manna, which of course in the Old Testament was the bread that God sent down from heaven to feed the children of Israel, in the New Testament, manna is associated with Jesus. Let's mark this page and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Let's look down at verse 31. John chapter 6, verse 31. A group of people were gathered here. And they said to Jesus, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they brought up to Jesus here the topic of manna, which was the bread that God gave to the children of Israel from heaven. But Jesus tells them that He is the bread of God, and He is the one that gives life to everyone in the world. Then as we skip down to verse 48 of this same chapter, John chapter 6, verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. There's a lot in that statement right there that Jesus is saying to them, you know. 
This is, he says in verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my life, which I shall give for the life of the world. So Jesus was going to and, and of course did sacrifice his body in order that we might have everlasting life, eternal life. The only way someone can come to know this everlasting life is by placing their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and who He is. We come to faith in Jesus. We are born again of the Spirit and we have His life within us by His Spirit. And back in Revelation chapter 2, you can turn back there. Jesus tells the church of Pergamos that if they stay the course of faith, if they do, they do not deny faith in Jesus Christ, they will have everlasting life. They will eat of, they will taste of everlasting life. But he also says there in verse 17 that he will give us a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. So what is Jesus talking about here with this white stone? Do we really know exactly? If we're honest, we really don't completely know. But because there are actually multiple explanations given for what Jesus is talking about in this verse. If you go and you read, uh, you know, different commentaries and theologians and what they've written about this there's at least a dozen different explanations for this verse and I've read multiple explanations of it and I have nothing new to offer you outside of those explanations already given but I will share with you what my favorite explanation is of that white stone and that is is that it is said that there was an ancient Roman custom that awarded white stones to a person who won an athletic event. Okay? The winner of a contest was awarded a white stone with his name inscribed on that white stone. Now, this white stone was then used by that athlete as a ticket to get them into the awards banquet afterwards. Okay? If Jesus is indeed giving a statement here symbolic of this Roman event, then what he is promising is that those who overcome this world will have an entrance into eternal life and will feast at the banquet table with the Lord God. And we know that is what he's promising here. Whatever we want to make of that white stone and whatever explanation you want to give of that white stone, the bottom line is, this is what Jesus is promising here. And Jesus, the name above all names, will give us a new name, a special name. Okay? And then as we move on to the next uh, church, right, to whom Jesus writes, verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now, the first thing to take note of here in verse 18 is Jesus gives himself or, or gives a name 
to this church of who he is. What do I mean by that? Well, do you see there that he calls himself the Son of God? Well, he didn't give this kind of description of himself to any of the other churches thus far. He wants them to stand up and take heed because he has something very serious to discuss with him. He's letting him know, this is who's saying it. The Son of God is telling you this. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, appearing to them. This is not Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ. It's not who it is. It's not Mary's boy child, Jesus, right? This is the Son of God speaking directly to them here, the church of Thyatira. And again, also we see that Jesus refers to himself in the same way that he presented himself to the apostle John in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, uh, John described Jesus as having eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. Now, fire represents what? Fire represents judgment. Fire represents purification in the Word of God. Think about fire for a minute. Fire consumes everything that's in its path. Jesus, the Son of God, has the power to penetrate the deepest recesses of our hearts today. Okay? Fire is also used to separate good metal from dross, right? Gold is refined in a fire. And Jesus has the power to separate good from evil in the lives of human beings today. Again, He is the Word of God. And we know the power of the Word of God and what it can do in our lives. He comes into our lives and He begins a new work. And He is preparing us for our new home. And He is preparing us for our new name. He is described here as having feet like fine brass. Now, another term for brass here, very easily interchanged, would be bronze. Okay? Brass is made up of copper and zinc, and bronze is, bronze is made up of copper and tin. But again, the word is used interchangeably in the Bible. Now, if you remember a few weeks back when I originally mentioned that there was a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation, I also mentioned that this symbolism was very easy for them to understand. The original recipients of this letter, it was very easy for them to understand because a good deal of this symbolism in Revelation is based in Old Testament scriptures. And they knew their scriptures. Right? And in the Old Testament book of Daniel, and you could take a moment to turn there, Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. And we see down in verse 6 that Daniel is approached in a vision by one is describing what he sees in verse 6 he says his body was like barrel his face like the appearance of lightning his eyes like torches of fire his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color and the sound of his words was like the voice 
of a multitude. Sounds very similar to what John describes in John chapter 1. Okay. The Son of God appeared to Daniel hundreds of years before appearing to John in the vision of the Revelation. In the book of Daniel, we see the revealing of what will take place in the nation of Israel and the persecution of the people of Israel. In the book of Revelation, we see what will take place in the future as it relates to the whole world and the end times. But it is the Son of God that is revealing all of this to both Daniel and to the Apostle John. So again, when, when we see this symbolism in the book of Revelation, those that knew the Scriptures understood, well, this is, was based in this. This is where this comes from. Okay? So as we flip back now to Revelation, Jesus begins to address this church in Thyatira. And in verse 19 of Revelation chapter 2, he says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So again, we see very clearly that the Lord God sees our works. We see it time and time again here. He notices that we live out love. He notices that we serve others and that we continue in the faith with patience. He takes note of this. I won't expound on the, those things again in particular because I have in Revelation teachings past, but do notice that Thyatira had works that increased over time. Jesus told them there that in regards to their works, he said the last are more than the first, right? As I read that, I, I ask myself a question. I say, can I honestly say that in regards to the works that I do for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Have my works decreased or increased as I've moved along in age? Again, it's so very easy to fall into complacency and begin to slack off in that way, right? But I was asking myself these questions. Do I still have the love that I once did? Do I still serve others the way I once did? Has my faith increased or has my faith diminished? Has my works increased in the name of the Lord or have my works diminished? Again, it matters. The Lord points out that it matters. He points that out to the church of Thyatira. But of course, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, so I need to hear it. Okay? Remember, we are exhorted in 2 Corinthians 13.5 to examine ourselves as to whether we are in the faith. We are exhorted to test ourselves. You see, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's the reason we were created in Christ Jesus. That's the reason we were born of the Spirit. That's the reason we became new. We must always remember that Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Right? And what does it cause us to do? It causes us to be witnesses for Him. The power of the Holy Spirit is not just for us to get goosebumps, not for us to feel good during worship songs. The power of the Holy Spirit is for us to live. 
the life that the Lord has for us to live and to be witnesses unto Him. So we are to examine ourselves as to whether we are in the faith and we are to test ourselves. Because we are, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there is something for us to walk in as it pertains to works, as it pertains to good works. And if we're not careful, we can stray away from who we really are in Christ Jesus, the fact that we are created for these good works, right? But the church of Thyatira did well in that their works increased. Their last works were more than their first, right? But then Jesus continues on in verse 20 and says, nevertheless, so he's saying, in other words, even though all that's true, even though I just said this to you, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to others. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. So if we look at this again at face value, there seemed to be a female teacher in the church of Thyatira that wasn't a prophetess, but she called herself one, right? Do you see that there? Jesus said that woman Jezebel. That, that word woman there can also very easily be translated as wife. And many scholars have actually translated it in that way. It is the word for wife. And it is possible to believe that the elder of this church in Thyatira had his wife who was running the show and doing this kind of thing. But this woman, right, whomever she was, she, she taught some of the servants of the Lord that sexual immorality and the worship of idols was okay. You know, there are churches today that say you can continue in sin as long as you come and confess your sin time and time again. As long as you come and confess it to someone, you can just continue in it. You can worship idols in some churches, right? Do you know of any church system today that is filled with idolatry, filled with pictures, statues, trinkets, all that kind of stuff? One of the largest church systems in the world today is filled with that, right? But do we have churches today that allow their con congregants to live in sexual immorality but still continue to be in the fellowship? They don't deal with it? We do have that, don't we? Now in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, it, it speaks of a king named Ahab and his wife was Jezebel. And in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 25 and 26, it says that there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. There was no one like Ahab, it says, who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Then in verse 26, I'm reading from 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 26. In verse 26 it says, And he behaved very abominably in following idols. So two things there, right? 
Jezebel and the idols, the same thing that Jesus is mentioning, mentioning to the church of Thyatira. So Jesus brings to their remembrance in Thyatira, he brings to their remembrance Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab. And he refers to the fact that they are allowing these things in their church. He has this against them. The Lord does not want us to allow sexual immorality or idol worship in the church today. And this woman in Thyatira who Jesus addresses was condoning this kind of behavior, sexual immorality and idol worship. And again, we can apply this to many churches today that are, you know, around us. And in verse 22, back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 22, Jesus says, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. So sexual immorality of all sorts will be judged. But as Jesus says in verse 21, he gives them time to repent. And I believe that people today still have time to repent. These church systems still have time to repent. Again, there is church systems that are doing great works and their works have increased. The, the, their works now are greater than their works were 50 years ago. But yet, they're allowing this kind of thing within the church, and Jesus gives them the time to repent. And we really need to be careful, though, I think, not to point fingers at people if we ourselves allow this within our own midst and in, and in our own lives, right? Remember, keep in mind, always keep this in mind. I, I remind you guys of this from time to time. But Revelation, as well as the whole of the New Testament, it was written to believers. You know, a lot of times it's easy to take the scriptures and, and that we read and apply them to that lost, sinful, dying world out there, right? But it was written to believers, okay? So be sure, again, to take the time to examine yourself. And in verse 22, there are those that hold to this doctrine that these type of things are okay, but they're going to go through a great tribulation if they don't repent. Something's waiting for them, right? Those that walk in righteousness will not go through the great tribulation that is to come. For God has not appointed us to wrath. But again, those that hold this type of Jezebel doctrine will go through great tribulation unless they do repent. And I will stress this to you all once again this morning, our works matter. The Lord sees them. He sees our works, but he also sees beyond the works. And he sees what's really going on. And he sees when we allow sexual immorality or when we are worshiping idols. And again, it's, it's, you know, it's easy just to blatantly apply what we're talking about here to a certain church system, right? But I believe that there's idols in people's lives today that distract them from God. It could be their recreational activities. It could be their work. It could be whatever it might be. But there are things that we place in front of God that he says, I don't want that. I don't want that in your life. Not that he doesn't want us to work. We have to. But he doesn't want us to place anything above him and in front of him, right? 
Moving on here, verse 23. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your works. There we see it again, right? Jesus is the one who searches the minds and the hearts. Again, he sees the works, but he's looking much deeper as well, isn't he? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So as we are tempted, again, to look upon the sexual sins of others and consider that as an abomination... Right, which indeed sexual immorality is. But we must, however, again, be careful to understand that the Lord searches the minds and our, and our hearts, and he knows what's going on in us as well. And that's a sobering thought. At the end of verse 23 there, Jesus says, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. That doesn't just address one particular religion. Again, he who has an ear, let, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? Verse 24, Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. So if you don't walk in sexual immorality, you don't walk in idolatry, then you have nothing to worry about. And there were some in the church of Thyatira that did not participate in that doctrine. And Jesus addresses them. As I have talked with people from certain denominations, as I have talked with people from certain church systems, it's, it's always amazing to me when I find out they don't even know what their church is doing. They don't even know the doctrine of their own church. They're not into it, right? And here Jesus says there are people within Thyatira that aren't holding to that either, right? But he says in verse 25, but hold fast what you have till I come. Now, what is it that they have that they can hold fast to? Back in verse 19, they have their works, love, service, faith, patience. And their most recent works are greater than, the, than when they first began. They need to hold fast to those things that they did and we need to do the same today and we saw it with the church of Ephesus don't leave your first love don't leave that place of serving the Lord and loving the Lord verse 26 and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him I will give power over the nations he shall rule them with a rod of iron they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as I also have received from my father. Now, I want to show you all something here in the book of Psalms. Please turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. And before we start reading here in Psalm chapter 2, I'll remind you that back there in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus promised to those that held fast till he comes back that he will give them power over the nations. 
Then he said that he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. So now, here we will see in Psalm chapter 2, a prophetic psalm about Jesus. And starting in verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth, the city councils of Houston, <laughs> set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. You see, let me just say that as a whole, the nations of the world, our world leaders, if you will, want nothing to do with the Lord and his people. Laws are increasing, increasingly being instituted today against the Lord and against his people and against the church. Again, we're seeing glimpses of that beginning to take place. Then verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. That word derision there means to mock and to ridicule. Then verse 5 continues, Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So basically what we see here is that the Lord is going to judge the people of the world, the nations for their hatred toward the things of God and for his word. And Jesus tells the church of Thyatira and us as well that we will rule with him someday. And this is a promise from the Lord for those that overcome. Now, if we join in with this world, and if we join in with the wicked ways in which it is going, and we compromise, and we give in to the, you know, allowing sexual immorality and allowing idolatry, then we're going to not, we're going to experience great tribulation. Okay? And these promises aren't for those people. Right? And, bef and before we move away from chapter 2 here, the Lord gives these leaders some advice here in verse 10. Now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in in him. Okay? So we see a contrast there, right? Jesus says to these kings, to these leaders, to these rulers of our towns, our cities, our nations, whatever it is, pay attention to the Lord. You know, serve the Lord with fear. He's given them that warning. And then we see at the end there, verse 12, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Okay? And as we flip back to Revelation chapter 2 to finish our study, 
what will we do? Will we hold fast or, we, or will we fall into the way of compromise and allowing immorality around us and idolatry? Again, Jesus has a promise for those that hold fast. And in verse 28 here, he continues that promise and he says, And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I'm, I'm, I'm fast forwarding here to Revelation chapter 2. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So Jesus is the morning star. And the greatest of the, of the promise, the great thing about the promise to those who overcome is that they will be with Jesus for all eternity. They will have the morning star. We will be with Jesus. Again, I will close today by exhorting you all to stay the course of faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Word of God. And we need to seek Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And that scripture I'm quoting from Luke also says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Reach out to other people. Stay the course. Serve the Lord. Stay in the word of God. Realize that things are deteriorating around us, but we have to overcome. We have to keep going. We can't cave in to everything going on around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. For your word is truth, God. And your word, again, Lord, it does that work within our hearts and in our minds that no other words can do. And Lord, I pray for each one of us here this morning, Lord, that we will hold true to your word, that we will stay the course. And Lord, that we would begin to even reach out to others around us who we see are, are going astray and, and are going in the way of idolatry and or sexual immorality, or, or be whatever sin it may be, Lord. People are just being distracted today away from your word. And God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would give us eyes to see as we go, for the we go forward in the week ahead of us, Lord, that your word will be on our lips, in our hearts, Lord, and that your will would be done in our lives, Lord. Again, we thank you for this time of fellowship, time of worship. And we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.